they could go on the exchange and get their own health insurance. They could set up their own retirement plans, do all these things. All of that would take a lot more time and more money from them to do it. So it was just a logical fit. And the fact that obviously Opolis is blockchain centric and crypto friendly as far as potentially having uh, Opolis participants being you know paid in crypto and so forth it was just a perfect fit because uh, you know those that are doing work for the foundation for interoperability will getting pay- be getting paid in crypto the foundation does not have any fiat money um, and given what it does it doesn't it, it, according to Luke the managing director you know they have no intentions to ever have fiat because that's just that's the opposite of what the foundation is about so uh, so yeah it's a per- it was a perfect fit for what what was needed for those those folks to be able to operate efficiently and effectively really really solved a lot of problems welcome to opolis public radio where we dig into how a rapidly changing world is impacting our lives and what we can do about it with a focus on freelancing finances and the future of work on this episode of opolis public radio we dive into Daplix and the FIO protocol and their upcoming plans with the Employment Commons and much, much more. So welcome to episode 14 of OPR. Today, I'm joined by David Gold, my friend, CEO of Dapix, which built the FIO protocol. David is an entrepreneur, venture capitalist, recovering, I should say, and angel investor. And the idea for the FIO protocol was incubated while he was managing director of Access Venture Partners, which is an early stage VC firm fund here in Denver, Colorado, where he served for over 11 years. And prior to joining AVP, David was an angel investor and board member of an, in a number of successful technology companies where he had multiple exits. And during the dot-com era, where he got his start, David was the founder and CEO of ProSavvy, a web-based procurement software company that raised over $25 million in venture capital and had a successful merger exit. So welcome, David, to OPR. Yeah, what's new with you? Uh, before we get into the, the the kind of stuff that I want to kind of get in media, anything new? So we, uh, what's new is, uh, I mean, we the, the project is grown. I mean, it's global. There's 35 block producers from 20 plus different countries. There's lots of people uh, involved in the project from across the world now doing various activities of supporting it. Uh, the, uh, you know, more and more wallets and exchanges are integrating the protocol all the time to make crypto easy to use, which is what FIO is all about. It's about making the process of moving value around on blockchains, um, as easy as using a centralized application like Venmo, but in a completely decentralized, uh, and self-sovereign manner. And that's what the, that's the FIO protocol is all about. And the latest big announcement is, uh, the Liquid Exchange just announced uh, that they uh, they are integrating the field protocol uh, into their deposit withdrawal interface. So users will be able to use the field protocol on Liquid uh, uh, to deposit and withdraw crypto uh, using field addresses, field requests, and making that whole process very easy and and error free. So they're yet another exchange that's uh, that's going down the road of integrating. So we're excited about that. How many is that now? How many exchanges is that? Uh, so it would be four exchanges, uh, you know, counting the likes of BitMEX, uh, ChangeNow, and Shapeshift as well, and then a whole bunch of wallets: uh, Edge, Coinomi, Infinito, uh, BRD as uh, partial integration, uh, Trust Wallet. I, um, I, I'm forgetting some: a Scatter Wallet, Tribe Wallet. Um, so uh, yeah, just a whole bunch of wallets out there that have integrated FIO and continues to grow. Well, that's fabulous. So I remember yeah. when you were telling me about the idea of FIO in the very beginning of this, like before actually it was even a thing. 
So congratulations on all the success. We have a lot of listeners that are largely focused on Ethereum. So I think, you know, FIO is an, you know, an important kind of thing to highlight, not just for the success of the Colorado ecosystem, which we like to chill a lot about, but also just for, you know, kind of meta reasons in addition, right? So do you want to give a little bit of an overview of exactly what, how that works, like specifically? So people, I mean, you kind of brushed through it really quickly and sort of, uh, you know, but the foundation for interoperability is really centered around one key thing, which is making crypto usable and interoperability of wallets and, and making user friendliness happen and, and in real ways. How does that relate to Ethereum? How does that relate to other protocols? Can you give a little bit better you know, explanation sure. so people can understand why this is important? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the FIO protocol is a delegated proof of stake blockchain. It is its own blockchain. It is not a, it's not an ERC-20 token. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons that it needs to be its own blockchain, um, ranging from the economics of the protocol to uh, core functionality, some of which I'll, hi- I'll highlight here, which is just not available on other other uh, protocols um, to enable it to do what it needs to do. And what is what is FIO doing? The, the concept of FIO is that when you have a transaction of value, um, it doesn't start with send. Transactions of value typically don't start with send. But that's where blockchain starts. It typically starts with send, right? I'm going to send you ETH. From the blockchain's perspective, the transaction starts with when you sign a transaction to send me some ETH and to move it to my ledger. So in real-world transactions, there are there's workflow data confirmations that lead up to transactions, and frequently there's some that come after transactions. And in order for blockchain to become easy to use, that process needs to be able to be handled in a decentralized, self-sovereign way that is very, very user-friendly. And it needs to be handled in a way that's homogeneous across all chains. Because unless we end up with one blockchain to rule them all, um, the concept that different chains will give a different user experience is going to prevent blockchain from scaling as a whole. So FIO is a, is, is some kind, sometimes described as a side chain or a service layer that handles all those things, workflow data confirmations that lead up to transactions. Today, it means three core capabilities uh, that went live with mainnet launch in March. FIO addresses, FIO requests, and FIO data. FIO addresses mm-hmm. are human-readable wallet addresses that uh, can be used to send and receive crypto. They work identically on every single blockchain out there. FIO requests the ability to have a decentralized request for payment an invoice, an order card, a note to your roommate for their share of rent. All these things are payment requests. So now with FIO requests, you can actually have a payment request that is decentralized. So at uh, shop.fioprotocol.io, there's actually a live e-commerce site. You can buy crypto COVID masks and things like that. You can buy an ETH COVID mask. Uh, And uh, when you check out, you have to use a FIO address to check out. And when you do, you can experience what it's like. Buffacorn COVID masks. We would love to add them. Uh, if you can uh, tell us where, because it's all drop ships. So if there's a place to drop ship them from, let us know and we'll get them, get the foundation, we'll get them added there. But it's- uh, Oh, they're it's coming. A, Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, they're let's, coming. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so when you check out there, you just, if you just type in your FIO address, tell it what type of token you want to pay in, ETH, Bitcoin, whatever. And you go to your wallet and the payment request, the FIO request is right in your wallet. It says, hey, the, you know, shop.fioprotocol.io is requesting this amount of ETH, for example, if you're paying in ETH. And you can see the third thing is FIO data. FIO data is homogeneous cross-chain metadata. 
many chains have the concept of memos and that sort of thing. The problem is not all of them do, and they all work differently. So again, to make it easy for users, you have to have a homogeneous data that works the same, whether I'm sending Bitcoin or ETH or Litecoin or Tether uh, in the same way. So if I'm checking out and want to get my order card, it comes to me in the same way. And that's what FIO data does. So those are the things that FIO does today and in the future. Uh, the, road, the roadmap just keeps getting longer all the time. Um, you can have the concept of verified FIO addresses with third-party attestation. You can have secure routing of multi-signature requests using the FIO protocol, which is just an extension of the FIO request functionality to enable uh, routing of multi-signature requests. Uh, social recovery of private keys becomes possible using the FIO protocol. Um, you know, the list just really goes on and on. Uh, enhancing DeFi interaction is something that's being looked into right now to make it uh, easy and possible for users to interact with DeFi platforms simply using FIO addresses and FIO requests uh, versus the complex transactions that they have to do today. So yeah, that's that's what FIO is about. Its goal is to do for blockchain what the hypertext transport protocol did for the internet. Finally, make it easy to use for the masses and do that across every single chain uh, in a very homogeneous way. So rising tide, lift all boat, make all chains better is the goal. Yeah, in, in a multi-chain world, which I think pretty much everybody has acknowledged that, you know, it's not one chain to rule them all anymore. I think in the early days of crypto, there was a lot of discussion about who's going to be the winner, right? What, what chain's going to win? It seems like, I mean, I, I, not seems like, I mean, it's pretty much the market's spoken on that. I mean, there's there's a lot of different use cases and reasons why you might want to use one chain or another. I mean, the Bitcoin, even Lightning Network stuff is really not that interesting when you look at what's advanced around it, right? Like Lightning Network is a concept back in the, you know, three, four years ago was, you know, hugely promising, but now you've got in incredible new opportunities and different technologies that are like popping up around that almost make Bitcoin feel like exclusively just a store of value deal. So yeah, yeah. Get, getting to a place where, you know, we've got real interoperability, I think, I mean, it's, always, it's been a, a subject of ETH Denver 2020 and going to be 2021 because it's that important. So what you guys are working on is great. So we'll talk a little bit more about why we think it's cool here in just a minute. But before we do that, before we got on the the podcast here, we started talking a little bit about your history and, you know, raising capital and being an entrepreneur and, and doing that. So what now was pro savvy your, your first business venture or was that just like the first sort of successful one? No, that was my first uh, startup and business venture. Yep. Yeah. That was back in 1995 when I got that started and really kicked it off in 96, but yeah, back in the day, as they say, uh, that was my, that was my first one. You're kind of an old school tech guy. In some way, I am. It's kind of scary to think, but yeah, I've got a few gray <laughs> hairs. I'm, 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 I'm an old school tech guy. I've been around the block a few times. Been there, done that. Got a T-shirt, wrote a song about it, as I always say. Right. <laughs> yep. So when you were first out there, you know, back in you know doing this, I mean, let's talk a little entrepreneurial shop for a second because I think it's important for for those of us that have been through the entrepreneurial journey and especially kind of looking forward to where. I think the next frontier of entrepreneurs, it's important to understand some of the co components that ultimately help create success, not, not guarantee it, but like, what are the, the things that are important? So you were talking about sort of learning how to raise capital and meeting people and just networking. So 
like what are the most what are the top three things that you learned as an early stage entrepreneur that carried you through sort of to that first level of success? What what were the top three things that you learned? So, and this is, you know, from the standpoint of an entrepreneur that that's building something where they have to raise capital, right? Versus there are, you know, there's a whole nother class of entrepreneurs that are starting, you know, a pizza shop, an accounting firm, whatever. And they're very much entrepreneurs, but I do think sure. those are different. But from the standpoint of an entrepreneur that's building something that needs, needs to raise capital or have any chance to be successful, um, you know, I think some of the key top lessons is, Number one, um, who you know is at least as important, if not more important than what you know. And that may sound, be frust- it's often frustrating to entrepreneurs, but it's important just to uh, recognize and accept that. Um, and so networking is massively important and entrepreneurs that fail to be able to get out there and meet people and get to know people and network typically are not going to be very successful because they can't build the personal relationships they need to raise money or to um, consummate the business transactions they need need to consummate. So that's certainly one one real big one. Uh, you know, second one is, uh, which is often said, is, uh, you know, focus and fail fast, right? You know, you try not to do too many things. Um, and, you know, but, but at the same time, try to try to think of it as experiments where you run things as quickly as you can in a way where you can learn from them um, and keep iterating and improving. Because the one thing that's certain when you start out is whatever your initial ideas are, they're wrong, right? You guaranteed don't have it all right. Yeah. If you're not, so, if you're, if you're too rigid, you're not willing to pivot, like, or at least adjust, right? Yeah. 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 So I think those are some of the, some of the, some of the top things, certainly not all of everything, but certainly some of the key things. So you know, raising capital and building businesses back in the dot-com area era and doing it now in this sort of, you know, future of decentralized finance and blockchains and decentralized governance and the ownership economy, what's different? What's different now between now and, and then? What have you seen change the most? Um, well, ignoring the ICO blip, you know, that happened and, and not that ICOs are completely gone, but obviously there was a huge explosion and then, um, and then they, you know, not completely disappeared, but there's a lot fewer of them, uh, largely because of the regulators, um, and, you know, the rules that they have for, for raising money, bottom line, that's a whole other rabbit hole. We can go down and get into a real dangerous place where we'll both start drinking. So we should avoid that. I know. I was going to say, I could, I could just order us <laughs> some beers and, and drizzly is some, some. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I think the biggest thing is, you know, among the many things that blockchain is innovating is it's innovating business models. And in the same way the web did, the web totally disrupted business models. Uh, in ways that you know early people in the web could see and could capitalize on, but most people early on couldn't see and they didn't believe it or didn't understand it. And, and the same is true with blockchain. I mean, you actually can have decentralized business models where there is not a you know corporate entity that's going to be the one that you know creates a lot of revenue and and goes public or anything like that. You know, case in point with DAPX, you know, DAP that isn't wasn't DAPX's mission when it set out. That wasn't how value was going to be created. The value was created and, and has been created in in the blockchain that was launched by the community. And DAPX sold that IP to the Foundation for Interwall Operability, which is a nonprofit industry guided foundation that DAPX has never run, doesn't run. Uh, or anything else. So, so you, you just have it starts, you know. It, and for people who, who you know, grew up in in centralized uh, company 
land, which is where all of us have grown up in. Everybody learned that way. Yeah, who aren't who aren't able or willing to think about these models. It's just like these head scratchers for them. They're like, I just don't get it. Um, and for the ones who are willing to at least try to understand it, it's still mind blowing to them to think, wow. So we have a whole yeah. different system where the participants in these ecosystems can actually be economic beneficiaries of the ecosystem itself. And so yeah, it's stakeholder grows, capitalism, yeah, not just exactly. shareholder yeah. capitalism. Yeah. And yeah. so it doesn't mean, you know, that people who, who are involved early don't get rewarded, but but it just it's just a completely different way to think about economic models, and it's going to disrupt a lot of different things going forward. As you know, I think most of us in blockchain believe, and we're just at the early early part of this, right? You know, oh, it's still got a long way to go. Yeah, but yeah, we we talk a lot about stakeholder capitalism with Opolis's business model. You know, with the limited cooperative association and service provider in Opolis Inc. and all of that. So like we, we talk a lot about it and, you know, it's still, you know, people look at it and go, okay, like they, they'll get it eventually if they pay enough, if they, you know, look at it enough, but it's still, it's still a really interesting thing to watch because I think the traditional vehicle of a C, you know, Delaware C Corp and go, let's go raise capital. And it's just founders and shareholders and maybe a small chunk of advisors that sit on the cap table you know, in the world of this emerging sort of, you know, call it the ownership economy type of thing where communities, uh, contributors, both economic and attention and resources are going to be rewarded economically in a much more fluid, high velocity way. Businesses haven't even wrapped their head around this yet. They're still scratching their head at cryptocurrencies, you know, forget like new value creation vehicles and new value scaling vehicles. Like, they, they have no idea what's coming. And I think you're right. I, I often say that we're in the first half of the, or the first half of the first inning of a seven game series. Yeah. When I it comes that's about to right. Like, that's a great, how great, many great analogy. Are coming? And yeah. I, I've, I've been saying this for a couple of years, so I'm not sure how long the first half of the first inning is going to be, but it still right. feels like. And, and, and to continue that analogy, and most of the people watching that baseball game have actually never watched baseball before. So they really don't know exactly what they're looking at. <laughs> it's all new. It's, and it's like, what exactly am I seeing here? What is this? So why is there only strikes and four balls? Like what? <laughs> yeah. And that's the same with blockchain. People are looking at going, uh, what? Decentralized yeah. keys? What? How? Yeah, well, what I think is interesting sense. about this particular epoch of technology, I mean, this particular technology, call it DLT, blockchains, you know, whatever you want to call it, what they really don't understand about it. And this even took me a little while to understand it, but it's more of a, a social shift than it is a technology thing. It's, it's more of a reorganization of capital and a reorganization of value creation and scaling and distribution at scale. I mean, so thinking about this, you know, in the third, fourth, fifth, you know, games of this series, right. That it's not just like the last, the last, epochs of technology, even the dot-com boom was really, yeah, it was, it was business models, but it wasn't fundamentally changing the corporate structure. It wasn't fundamentally changing the, the cap tables. It wasn't fundamentally changing stakeholdership, whatever the hell that meant back then. Nobody knew what any of that was, right? Like nobody was talking about that. You know, there was clear buckets of consumers, you know, patroning businesses, but really just the value they receive is the products they got, right? It's not that activity isn't seen as valuable to the, to the value creation of the actual entity or thing that they're building, right? Now we're moving into a whole new dynamic, which is 
I mean, I think it's going to be one of the most interesting things that we've seen commercially in possibly anyone's lifetime. Yeah, I yeah, no, I certainly agree with that. And I think what you said is spot on. It's a social revolution. And one of the things I frequently uh, explain to people, to friends and family who you know heard, heard about Bitcoin and that's about it, and they don't understand it and think that it's some you know, scammy thing that cricks you and that's it, um, right. is or, I explain to them that, that- Nerdy that, venture capitalists. Right. I explained to them that, you know, that blockchain, the technology behind Bitcoin and obviously Ethereum and all the other blockchains um, is, is a revolution in trust. That's and that's yeah. so that's a social revolution. And, you know, historically, you know, there are three categories of trust that humans will have. They will trust another person because they actually know that person personally, friend, family, et cetera. Right. They know them. They've interacted with them and they place trust based on their personal interactions. Second is institutional trust. They'll trust an institution, a centralized institution, because of its reputation, because of its track record, and maybe also because there may be laws and rules and people with guns that if that institution were to violate that trust, that you know they might get in trouble, like banks, for example, right? Um, yeah. People do mostly still trust banks. Fiduciary type of businesses. Yeah, so in, institutional trust. And third is uh, mathematical or scientific trust. Meaning, if I sell you a troy ounce of gold, you do not need to trust me as a person. You do not need to have an institution in the middle of that to trust. You can scientifically verify that you actually got a troy ounce of gold, right? And so, you know, scientific proof, mathematical proof, et cetera. And what blockchain does is it enables verifiable mathematical trust between two counterparties that right. don't even know each other. And well, they, they call never know trust, each other. Trustlessness. They don't have to trust the third party in the middle, which is the trustlessness, right? right? But right. and they don't have to trust the counterparty. They don't have to have personal trust. They don't have to have institutional trust because they have mathematical trust. They can trust in the math. Uh, and and the revolution of blockchain is the ability to have that trusted mathematical proof in a way where the parties are not physically near each other and often don't even know each other. You know, previously, scientific and mathematical trust, you had to be physically present with the counterparty. I have to give you the gold, for example, Um, and and you at least know the counterparty and be present. So it was very limiting in terms of where you could use mathematical or scientifical verification to establish trust in a transaction. But with blockchain, you can do it at lightning speed uh, anywhere in the world with any counterparty that's out there, person or computer, and know that it's mathematically verifiable. That's a huge revolution in trust. That's it's an enormous revolution. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Um, well, I'll say it again. It's probably the single most important social shift that we've ever seen. Because what happens, what seems to happen, is anytime you need to broker that trust, you know, we've had intermediaries come in that unfortunately become, in, in at least in the perception of the consumers, exploitive, overextractive. Um, and then they're not quote earning their extraction right. There's a disproportionate you know, ratio, I guess, over time and scale that, that says, well, you should be taking less, not more. And often the business model of the intermediaries needs to take more, not less. So there's this competing tension between sort of the goals and outcomes that, that all these parties want. So in other words, there's not incentive alignment in the economic game design, right? So we've got at scale problems, you know, you, these things don't typically show up when, when companies and businesses are small. It, it, they show up at scale, like banks at scale, Uber at scale. 
even Amazon at scale to a lesser extent. I mean, maybe employees yep. might gripe with me about that, you know, based on what <laughs> I've heard. But a lot, I know a lot of really happy, happy Amazon customers. But, you know, again, stakeholders would include employees, right? So our team. So in any case, I think it's going to be a very interesting thing. And I'm glad to see that you are involved in it because we need really smart people doing cool things. So that brings me to like you and I met probably seven years ago when you were at Access Venture Partners and I was pitching a, a previous deal. We got to know each other a little bit and you gave me some, you know, free advice and coaching, you know, early on and we stayed in touch. And then I had gotten involved in the blockchain space and you knew what you had known about that. And uh, I think you guys were one of the first early sponsors of East Denver 2018, if I remember right. Yeah. Yep. And you were like one of the only venture capitalists in Denver, even remotely willing to listen to, to like anything crypto or blockchain related. So that was pretty cool. So again, thank you for that support. It is Thanksgiving. Yeah, time, absolutely. So it goes back a long time for me. I remember first pitching you the idea of Opolis, you know, this uh, sort of community owned, you know, decentralized employment organization type of entity where, you know, crypto payroll could happen, interoperability could happen, like, you know, dApps and other, you know, tools could come into this, but really creating this notion of self-sovereign employment. You know, we hear a lot about self-sovereign identity, self-sovereign data, self-sovereign whatever, right? But self-sovereign employment isn't something that people talk a lot about. So why don't you tell everybody how you've, you know, uh, you, you know, in your first response, just candidly to our audience was, why don't you just build a crypto-friendly payroll system, you know, like a payroll company that just, you know, offers that. And I'm like, nah, you're not getting it, right? Yeah, the other part of my response that I recall was, dude, you know, this is a really, really hard business segment dealing with HR and all these rules and regulations. Why the F would you want to do this? Do something <laughs> easier. This is really painful. Um, yeah, which it is. But if you can solve it, and I think Opolis is... Really, you've done a great job putting it together. You know, is on a path to solving this. Um, but look, it's a you know, what you're doing is really interesting, and and you know, the the hard part of what you're doing, in my mind, is is all the freaking rules and regulations that you have to navigate through. And the fact is that our, our a lot of our laws are outdated, and they never keep yeah. up with. They can't keep up with technology. Technology moves so no. much faster than our laws. And so that's certainly true on employment. And you have this big tug of war in our political system here between um, the realities of the world and how the concept of W-2 employment is diminishing. And yet there's this, you know, desire and, you know, we've got to protect these people from all the, the safety nets that they're losing by not being employees. We've got to protect them against themselves and companies taking advantage of them by them not being employees and some of this stuff that I think is kind of, kind of silly. What's um, the wrong, wrong solution to the right problem? I mean, it's right. And, and what's interesting is, you know, and maybe, you know, hopefully we'll see where things go in the next four years, but it'd be cool if Opolis could become a big part of this conversation to say, Hey, there doesn't have to be an either, or it doesn't have to be a scenario where exactly. if you're a freelancer, you're devoid of, you're just on your own, you're on a desert island. Yeah. Your yeah. core protections that, the government wants employees to have, um, you can have them both. And maybe there's even a way where, you know, 
you work to get involved in some of the discussions where there could be some modifications to the rules to make it even easier to do what you're doing. Um, but you've found an interesting way to navigate through the rules to set up a path where, you know, individual free agents, freelancers can, can do that, right? They can be, as you said, a self-sovereign employee and still get the health benefits and get the other things that they, everything. That they need. Yeah. Everything. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, you know, I was reading even today an article about how the head of the current the current head of the SEC was talking about um, a potential proposal to enable companies to be able to give uh, stock options to um, freelancers that are working uh, on their company, like Uber drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and you know, it's just interesting reading the reactions to that because I look at that and say, look, that's that's a good thing. I mean, you're giving these people freedom of choice in their jobs, and now you're saying, oh, and by the way, you don't have to lose out. On the up equity upside, you would have right. if you were an employee, which is kind of the same sign of thinking of Opolis, right? You don't have to lose out by being right. a freelancer on the, the protections that you might want to have as an employee. So, but it's interesting how some people see that and say, oh, this is a big negative. It's like, no, it's not a negative. That's the reality of the world. Let's let's change the, the system so it can work better to provide the right type of protections and allow people to the freedom of not being an employee. Well, you know, you keep you keep you keep saying this freedom and choice, right? And the interesting thing about employment is historically, no one's really ever had a choice. I mean, if you want to work with a company, take it or leave it, you know, here's what we're offering. And if you don't like it, pound sand, right? And it's interesting how very little of the fringe benefits and healthcare insurance and all that has anything to do with the quality of the work, right? So like, if I love a company and hate their benefits, I probably won't stay. If I can't get, you know, I mean, in order of operations, my the healthcare for my family is probably more important than what I'm doing every day. So I might even be willing to sacrifice my joy and where I'm putting my time and attention every day just to make sure that my family's taken care of. And these things are squarely like not aligned to be tied to each other. It's a really yeah. interesting thing. And that is the key. To what we're offering at Opolis is really just the, the choice. It's the choice to employ myself how I choose. And then that unlocks a whole nother set of choices on where I want to put my time and attention. Yeah. Like where do I want to contribute? What, what do I want to contribute to? I can get out of this sort of mercenary mindset, the means to an end paycheck, right? Where I'm just being paid by the highest bidder for my time to, to sort of, so they can arbitrage my value creation and extract it all for themselves where I can actually have a much more fluid experience now. Secondly, I can actually risk manage my employment, meaning I can have four or five different revenue streams now. Using Opolis as my core base layer of employment, my commercial identity, if you will. I can have, and if one of those revenue streams goes away, I still got four, you know, and I just backfill the time that I need to fill, right? So, you know, it's, it's it's a much more pragmatic way of handling things frankly i think you know i agree with you when you hear well i mean we run around in the hr circles a lot and like you know it's still human capital and you know it's still hr command and control and employee engagement you know and it's it's so paternalistic and when you really kind of step out of the echo chamber it's really condescending actually because like it it sort of treats employees kind of like children and like they don't know what they're doing we need to condition them to you know, think our little way and do our little thing. And, 
you know, push the right buttons and do the things. And it's like, you know, that's why more and more people aren't taking full-time jobs. That's why they're contracting. That's why we're moving back to really being freedom and flexibility centric versus just safety and security centric. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I agree. It's, it's amazing to me how little has permeated the, the actual HR compliance corporate world yet. They, I mean, they're not even yeah. largely yeah. paying attention to it. Yeah, I mean, again, you see a lot of this in the different policy things in California and elsewhere of this, right? This struggle where the view of free, you know, freelancers and stuff is that they are being abused, and yet, with the exception of the problems that Opolis is solving for them, meaning access to healthcare, better healthcare policies, things like that, which are really um, caused by government rules. The vast majority of, of freelancers and people who are doing these independent gigs do not believe that they are being punished in some way by doing so. All the ones I know, they right. love it. And the freedom that comes from it is fantastic. So this concept, you know, like in California where they're Uber's taking advantage of all the drivers sort of things, well, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think most of the drivers, Uber drivers feel that's the case in California. They, no, they, they have don't. Complete they have complete flexibility and freedom of what they what they want to do and when they want to do it. Now, there's some to, pretty noisy it. ones that do, but I don't right. think that's the major voice. I think it's like anything. There's a couple of loud barking dogs that that are pissed off about it, about it, but largely it seems that most Uber and Lyft drivers like the flexibility. They don't want to be well, on you, the clock if, at a certain and, time. And if you and if right, and if you listen to what they're pissed off about, they're pissed off about healthcare, unemployment benefits if they were to be unemployed, you know, things like retirement. They're, they're they're pissed off about the things that the government is in the middle of making the rules about and the fact that a freelancer can't get health insurance, you know, as easily as an employee of a company. I mean, why did our government ever choose to put employers in the middle of our healthcare system? And have that be an employee benefit. Well, do you, um, you want the historical like reason for that? I can give it yeah, to you. you. Oh, if you know it, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, it, it really started with Henry Ford, who innovated employment. I mean, standardizing the 40-hour work week was a big deal. Competition for labor um, in the manufacturing sector was huge back in the early days of the Industrial Revolution. So adding features and benefits like health coverage was something that was not being done. This was like a huge differentiation, right? So, you know, like pensions, that wasn't done before people like Henry Ford were doing this, right? But then as the years went on, it became keeping up with the Joneses, right? So then once it moves into table stakes, then everyone's doing it. Everything, all the legislation was being geared around where it first showed up, right? So like a lot of things in, in our legislative world, like when somebody demonstrates a successful you know, thing, they just sort of build laws around it to consummate it. So that's where it came from. And, and it was really a competitive advantage for the Industrial Revolution auto workers is really where it came from. And then it just, it just morphed into you know, standard American life, right? Like that's one of the things that you evaluate when looking at a job and What's the pension and what's this? Because, you know, it, it kind of felt like a marriage in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you had corporate ladders available to you. You had, you know, you, you stay with a firm long enough and you're going to get to these levels and you're going to make X amount of money. And then you have these parachutes, you know, for your retirement. And I mean, shoot, my mom did it. She spent 35 years at the same company, wow. 35 years. 
And I will tell you, her insurance, her pension, everything was great. Um, but that that ship has sailed. I mean, yeah. the the social contract of loyalty is is a is a fragment of what it used to be, if it even Absolutely. exists at all. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's absolutely right. No doubt. So, okay, so let's talk about how we got in, involved recently. So Dapix sold the IP to the foundation. Dapix is sunsetting, and that organization is is sort of decentralizing. So. Opolis is, is, was one of the things that popped on your radar as a potential opportunity. So how that, you know, how did that show up for you and, and how's that going? And, and, you know, I guess speaking from the, the perspective of your, your team, you know, how are they feeling about it? Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, I, the, the, the vision, uh, you know, and the way that the field protocol got launched by the community, it, you know, as a decentralized project, it means that, the contributors to the FIO protocol are decentralized. Um, Dapix, you know, uh, had an initial mission of just creating the first version of the software, which it sold, so it achieved its mission to create the software and sell it so that the, the community could spin up the blockchain. Um, and so, you know, the employees of Dapix all, all want to be contributors, key contributors to the project, but there's no reason for them to do that through a centralized entity of Dapix. It just doesn't make sense. So, uh, you know, they are a community shifting over to community workers where they work directly for the, uh, the, the actual protocol project uh, and the same as one might be doing, you know, projects for the Ethereum Foundation, you know, in the ETH world, right? And under a grant or something like that or a worker proposal to, right. to enhance some part of, of the Ethereum protocol. So a very similar way. Um, and in doing that, they all are, you know, free agents or freelancers. And so they need to solve the things that Opolis solves. They need, they need health insurance. That's probably the biggest one, right? They need health right. insurance. And sure, they can go to the exchange and get it, but guess what? It's you know 50 to 100% more cost than if they were able to get it even in a small group setting. Yeah, so, so, much, so, for Opolis, the una, the, so much for the Unaffordable Care Act, right? I mean- Right, right. Yeah, so sure, <laughs> everybody can get insurance if they can, if they can afford to pay for it. So obviously, you know, Opolis helps solve the health insurance problem for them and also gives them easy access to, you know, things like retirement plans that many of them obviously want to save for their retirement. And absent that, they, you know, it would be more costly and more complicated for them to even try to do the same thing. Sure, could they go on the exchange and get their own health insurance? They could set up their own retirement plans, do all these things. All that would take a lot more time and more money from them to do it. So it was just a logical fit. And the fact that obviously Opolis is blockchain centric and crypto friendly as far as, uh, you know, uh, potentially having uh, Opolis participants uh, being, you know, paid in crypto and so forth. Uh, it was just a perfect fit because, uh, you know, those that are doing work for the Foundation for Interoperability will getting pay- be getting paid in crypto. The Foundation does not have any fiat money. Um, and given what it does, it doesn't, it, it, according to Luke, the managing director, you know, they have no intentions to ever have fiat because that's just, that's the opposite of what the foundation is about. So, uh, so yeah, it's a per, it was a perfect fit for what, uh, what was needed for those, those folks to be able to operate efficiently and effectively really, really solved a lot of problems. You know, it really makes me happy is to hear like how this actually affects people so positively. I mean, when we hear things like you're saving 50 to 100% in costs on health insurance, and we've seen that. I mean, the state exchanges, we can go in and look at what the the rates are, and it's insane. It's insane. And the quality of the care isn't even that good. 
So to be able to get a, you know, top drawer insurance at like a fraction of the cost, plus the, all the shared services that you need to manage your business and stay compliant and, you know, the bridge between web two and web three. Cause you know, there's a lot of people in the web three world who love you to death, but there's a lot of question marks around sort of behavior and, and sort of making sure that value is being accounted for appropriately. And the last thing that we'd want to see any of our friends do is get into trouble with any alphabet soup agencies that say <laughs> you didn't do that. Right. Right. You know? yeah. And um, you know, if they wanted to make an example of people, this is part of the place that they could come, but Opolis really solves a lot of that. And, the fact that that's that's you know happening in real life is 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 such a great thing to hear. We love to hear this kind of stuff because, to me, it's um, it's why we did it. It's why we do it to give people that that uh, ability to control their commercial lives and to make the choices. The choice is theirs on how they want to you know allocate their time and attention, and the things that create that notion of safety and security are still there. Right? I can have the safety and security now without having to get it from somebody else. I can self-create it through this employment cooperative. Uh, we love it. I mean, obviously we love it, but I'm glad that you do too. Yeah. Oh, it's really phenomenal. So on uh, partnership front, so we've talked a little bit about, why don't we give everybody a little sneak peek on what we've talked about as far as uh, technology partnerships. So as part of our rewards program, um, if y'all haven't read it, it's uh, on our website. You can find uh, opolis.co slash token paper. We actually haven't named the token yet. So if anybody has any cute names for the token, we'd also be open to that. So that's uh, something we'll be doing here in the next week or two. But one of the, the core components of this is the notion of uh, really creating sustainable collaboration and sustainable collaboration happening in the form of uh, technology contributors. So one of the core elements that we've got on our technology roadmap is interoperable wallets and also the ability for our users to um, automate invoicing for their, uh, for their customers. So, you know, making uh, requests, as you might put it, to their users uh, or uh, customers, I should say, or whoever there is procuring their services, and then having that, you know, be baked into a Web3-based technology. So, Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that and how that might look for Opolis users. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you sort of play that out and say, how, how would this work in, you know, the traditional crypto world under the assumption that those users you know, are invoicing their client to be paid in crypto, if you're invoicing to be paid in yeah. fiat, it's a whole different conversation that is uninteresting if you ask me. But if they want to be paid in crypto, you know, today they're, they're going to have to send an invoice you know, a PDF, whatever, to their to their customer and say, here's what you owe me. And, you know, here's the public address for the ETH or the Bitcoin or the Tether, or whatever you're going to, you owe me. Um, and that, you know, recipient's going to have to copy and paste that public address into their wallet and and process, process the payment to send it to them. And obviously lots of risks and challenges associated with that. If there's any mistakes in that process, typically each time the sender is going to want to do a test send, which gets really mind-numbing. If every time they want to pay you, they have to do a test send to make sure they got everything right. With the FIA protocol, you know, the the ability is there to enable Opolis users to just send a FIA request to their to their customer and say, hey, uh, you know, check your wallet for your FIA request and they'll just go to their wallet 
and they'll see the request for the Tether, ETH, Bitcoin, whatever. Uh, and it'll have all the information in there. It'll have the correct amount and type of token. There's no absolutely no chance of any errors or man-in-the-middle attacks in the public address. Right. Uh, and the information on the invoice details can be there in the in the FIO data part and the notes that go along with that. And they just approve it and it's done. What's cool about this is... Um it really dovetails very nicely with the data that's needed for compliance, right? So like, you know, doing all of the transactions and, and transfers completely seamlessly using uh, Web3 technology, but then having that information available so that, you know, all of their transactions for a year, all, all the things that they would normally have to be keeping track of on their own can be actually in the Opolis ecosystem and put into a le- an accounting ledger, essentially, and they can actually keep track of all of their books this way, their basis statements, everything that they would normally have to be doing on their own. It's, it's a really cool kind of pairing of two worlds of technology, in my opinion. It's, it's the bridge between Web 2 and Web 3, as we've always said, you know, so it's really yeah. cool to see that there's... Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it making things easy, you know, and in the Opolis world, you know, things like the funding of payroll, if that's done with fiat, with dollars, you know, I presumptively Opolis does what other PEOs do and they have access to the bank account of the, of the free agent and they pull that money directly out of the account. So they make sure that you may, you may Opolis make sure you pull the correct amount to fund the payroll, because if you don't get right. the correct amount of money in the correct time frame, it creates some really big problems for you because you have an obligation yeah. to fund this payroll. This person's legally an employee. Legally employed by the employment right? commons. Yes. You can't, it's a little bit of a problem if you don't pay their employees when their paycheck is due. It's actually a really big. So, so this issue of drawing it's the a, payments, if it's in crypto, you know, becomes complicated because if you rely on your participant to send you the right amount and type of token, and if they make a mistake and now you've got a day or two delay, all of a sudden you could be in a legal problem, which is ironic because it's their own money and you're paying them. But nonetheless, you know, the law says they're an employee, you have to pay them. So again, FIA requests, and it would enable Opolis to send a request where it's just all they have to do is approve it and Opolis can be guaranteed. There's never going to be an error in the amount or type of token if it was agreed that they're going to fund in Tether or in Bitcoin or whatever. And, you know, it's all just exact in the same way that Opolis obviously can guarantee the right amount is pulled from a, from a checking account um, if you're actually pulling the funds. So not just another example. No, I think it's great. Well, we look forward to the partnership, man. And it's going to be, it's going to be a fun, fun ride to see how all of this unfolds over the next several innings, I guess. I, I'm not even going to put it in, in terms of years. Cause who knows? I have no idea. So um, audience who's listening, if you have any questions, we've got a couple of minutes here for Q and a, if you want to dump them in the Q and a in the webinar um, interface. Uh, we're going to just keep wrapping here for a couple of minutes uh, if uh, nothing pops in. So do you have any um, big Thanksgiving plans? Or are you kind of going COVID-friendly and just going to sip on a bottle of bourbon? Or what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm more of a wine and beer drinker. but uh, All right. So wine what drinker. wine do you got in your fridge right now? Or what, or what beer do you have in your fridge? And what wine do you have in your, your cellar right this minute? So uh, what, I mean, beer is 90 shilling. And I have a lot of different shilling. kinds of wine so i mean i probably have four cases of wine in my house so uh one of my favorites is uh out in sonoma called uh, imagery um and so imagery uh makes really short runs of different wines and uh, you can only order it mail order in their clubs they actually don't sell their short run stuff in uh, liquor stores and so it's uh it's just really good stuff um, so i know where to get and, it now 
Yeah, it would just uh, Google Im- imagery <laughs> vineyards. Yeah, you can get it for me. Absolutely, for the holidays. Yeah, catch up. Absolutely. Looks like we and, do. We have a question here. Uh, we got Taylor. Uh, ah, okay. Got a drop. Thanks, JPDG. Shill Fio. Shill Colorado. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we're gonna definitely really? shill it. So why don't we shill Eat Denver 2021? So yeah. uh, Colorado Jam. You know, with uh, Dapix being a Colorado company, at least was. Uh, you know, you're still going to have some involvement in ETH Denver 2021 and, and also Colorado Jam in partnership with uh, Governor Polis, his office, and uh, Lou Cordova, who is his senior advisor to or special advisor for digital transformation. So we're opening the, the doors to state agencies who are looking to solve certain technological problems and really advance Colorado to the next you know frontier of statehood. So. Why is Colorado interesting to you? Why do you live here? Why do you work here? Why do you invest here? And what do you think Colorado is going to emerge as in this sort of web three of things? What do you think is going to happen here? Uh, yeah, well, so for the first question, um, look, all you have to do is live somewhere else and you know why you want to live here. <laughs> so I lived out <laughs> of the East, East Coast for eight years, two years in Boston, over six years in D.C. And I mean, they were great for a few years, but uh, you know, Colorado is obviously, for all the reasons we all know, I tell people, all my friends and family don't live here. I say, as long as you enjoy having four distinct seasons, there is no better place in this country to live than Colorado. If you don't want four seasons, then yeah, you're going to have to go somewhere else because you might get all four seasons in one day here. <laughs> but uh, Right, like yesterday and today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and, you know, you can be golfing in Denver, go skiing up in the mountains uh, on many days during the year. Um, so, True story. Uh, yeah, but if you love that, there's no better place to, to be than here. And uh, look, I mean, Colorado's got it got it going on i mean it's such a diverse economy there's so many different uh parts of the what's happens here it's not you know just a tech scene although the tech scene is obviously a really key part of it and um i'm just hugely bullish on what's going to happen with the tech scene here over the next decade it's obviously been a great past decade but all you have to do is is read the recent articles covid has put the stake in the coffin of silicon valley Silicon Valley was already starting to see some cracks where they were having companies that were moving major centers out of Silicon Valley um, and, and refocusing and saying, we don't need to have, you know, the bulk of our people here. And, and some of them even, you know, moving their headquarters out of Silicon Valley. And obviously with COVID, almost all the Silicon Valley tech companies says, hey, you can work from wherever you want. And guess what? You, you, those employees, a lot of them, they're not coming back. They they yeah. not only did they didn't go to they didn't go a lot of them didn't go back to their ta- small little you know uh, Bay Area apartment that was you know costing them a huge amount per month they went Five off grand to a month, yeah to Boise and Denver and other places and mm-hmm. so I'm just going to live here and work and and they're not coming back most of them are not coming back and a lot of them are now starting to say why do I even want to work for a Valley company when I can work for a company that's local um, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal just last week about this exact thing and so. The reality is, you know, if you say, what did Silicon Valley have going for it? The answer is human capital. Human capital is what Silicon Valley had going for it. The quality of the talent, the concentration of the human talent in tech companies was greater than any other place in the world. And, you know, before the the World Wide Web and Zoom and things like that, you know, really diminished the, the need to have physical contact. Not that that goes to zero. It never goes to zero. But it's like, okay, we don't need to have it all the time sort of thing. That, that competitive advantage that Silicon Valley used to have just got really took a big hit. And you add in the costs, the, 
the taxes, the regulations, um, the difficult quality of life. And I, I think it's going to be Denver, Boise, Austin, Salt Lake City, man. These, these cities are going to be rocking because they already have great tech scenes. And it's just going to be the sucking sound as as companies and people uh, yeah, move out I, of Silicon Valley. I, I totally agree. I think what what really stands out for me in Colorado is we have a very interesting social political landscape. You know, I grew up in Salt Lake City, so I can speak very clearly to the social political landscape there. And it's still, I mean, it's evolving some, but we have such a well. Just thinking about blockchain tech and the and the social goals of it. The social political atmosphere of Colorado fits really well with the social goals of blockchain technology, much better than almost anything I've seen, which is, I think, why our governor and others are so bullish on, you know, Colorado becoming this hub for Web3 tech, right? And this sort of blockchain revolution and really in trying to incentivize it. But it's almost like in, in a lot of ways, it's it's doing its own thing. I mean... You know, the, the Boulder community is hugely vibrant. The Denver community is obviously hugely vibrant. We've got incubators in Colorado Springs and Fort Collins for blockchain specifically. Like, I mean, you've got all sorts of interesting things happening here. It just feels like not only with Silicon Valley, like sort of getting cracks, it, it feels like a lot of the, 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 again, the business model innovation doesn't align well with what Silicon Valley does, Right. So Silicon Valley knows how to build a certain kind of business and a certain kind of exit. And that's what they do. And, and blockchains are really re, reimagining that. And, and blockchain companies are reimagining that. And I think Colorado being, and especially with a governor who, who knows the tech scene and knows the entrepreneurial scene and the VC scene, sees that you know, blockchains aren't anti-business. It's not a socialist movement. It's a new social paradigm. And it's a new business paradigm where they both come together. It's the conversion. Yeah, it's anything but socialist movement. It's definitely not that. I mean, it's a, yeah, no. you know, most people who are in blockchain, you know, a lot of people in blockchain realize this themselves is that, the, you know, their tendencies are libertarian, right? And Very. back to Colorado, the reality is that Colorado is a state where it actually is fairly libertarian. It's just that most people don't even know what that means. They don't even look, aware, they're not even aware that they're libertarian. They're not really aware, but if you look at how they vote and you can look at yeah. the, the initiatives and how the initiatives panned out in Colorado, and there was an article about this a few weeks ago in the Denver Post and how um, you know the Democratic Party in the state was scratching their heads and trying to understand what, what this all meant because you know, on the one hand, the Democratic Party you know, still controlled the legislature, but on the other hand, there are things like tax cuts and the requirement that the legislature now has to get voter approval to add fees that passed. Um, and, you know, the ability for local governments, uh, you know, the gambling towns to control their own destiny. Those are libertarian views, right? Is wholeheartedly. You know, we want individual liberty. We don't want the government controlling. And, you know, and yet, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, and yet at the same time, obviously, you know, individual rights and uh, liberties, you know, whether somebody is gay and all those sorts of things just doesn't matter. It's like, it's, you know, it's your no. freedom. Um, and that's, yeah. you know, it's not all of Colorado, but it's, I think it's, you know, that's. that's it's, a, it's a hard purple stripe. So big it's, part of the, it's a big part of the electric electorate actually has those, those views. That's why, you know, uh, independents are the biggest segment of the, the voter base in Colorado. You know, the two political parties that have an unfair monopoly on things not to get political and have legislated themselves an unfair monopoly on our our, right. our, our democracy 
um, are the minority in Colorado. We, you know, they're both smaller than independence. Independence is the largest segment of people here. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting thing to watch. Well, thank you, David, for your time. I appreciate you taking the time pre-Thanksgiving. I assume that you'll be enjoying a few 90 shillings tomorrow and beyond, and I will be doing the same. I have a course banquet on tap, and I also have Dry Dock Hazy IPA. Shout out to Dry Dock on tap. So I have have two beers on tap that I'll be lightly and casually partaking in over the next few days. I'm trying to watch my girlish figure some, so... (laughs) Well, Um, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed uh, being here and participating. Yeah, you got it. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining this episode of Opolis Public Radio. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos just like this one. And subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast if you would just prefer the audio version. If you're a freelancer, solopreneur, sole practitioner, gig worker, and any of these types of people, and you're looking for an employment solution or affordable health care to become a self-sovereign worker, Make sure to join the Opolis Employment Commons today at opolis.co. That's O-P-O-L-I-S dot C-O. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope you liked the episode. If you did, please leave us a rating or review, and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.